This is episode 506 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. Like everything else in life, faith must be tested to grow. And unfortunately, the way faith is tested is through trials and tribulations and just bad circumstances. But James 1 tells us that the testing of our faith is really a good thing because it produces in us patience, which is a key ingredient that each of us need to become more like Christ. So in this message, we're going to look at five promises from the Lord and strive this week to actually live like we really believe them. Why? To have our faith tested to be put in situations where all we have to rely on are the promises of God. And of course, one of the main reasons is to learn how to leave Laodicea behind. Let's jump right in, shall we? As a church, We've been talking about being a faith prepper. We've been talking about getting your faith to grow, and we've been talking about things we can do. And So what are we supposed to do facing the turmoil that we are right now? Or how do we grow our faith? Our faith in him, our faith in his word, our faith in the fidelity of Christians, the faith of the church to stand, the faith that I have to be able to do what God has commanded me to do, even though I'm incapable of doing it in the flesh. What? How do I grow my faith? And just like everything else in life, your faith must be tested. And it grows by being put on the firing line with trials and tribulations. And when God shows himself during trials and tribulations to be true, then I can trust him for greater trials and tribulations because I know he's faithful in what he's already done. This is exactly what God did to the Jews in the Old Testament. They would cross the Jordan River and they would do it miraculously. All of a sudden, way uphill, all of a sudden it just dammed up and it's this massive wall of water and they're walking on on dry ground like a, like a mini parting of the Red Sea. We on the side that Joshua says, here's what you need to do. Take 12 stones, which represents the families that you associate with and build a pillar here. Why? Because when your children's children's children say, what do these stones mean? Remind them of how God was faithful then because they're going to be facing their own troubles when Jericho fell. Build the mountain here. Why? Because there was this insurmountable military enemy in front of us that was stopping us completely. And what we did is had faith in God and did something militarily ridiculous. We walked around for seven days. On the seventh day, we blew a trumpet. The priest walked around and we blew a trumpet. The walls will fall. Will they fall out and crush us? No. Will they fall in and crush us? No, they'll just collapse straight down. Except for this little apartment over here stuck in the wall where Rahab's at. And that's exactly what happened. So build it up. So when you're facing your giant, remember what happened to David facing Goliath. How does our faith grow? If your faith doesn't grow, the darkness will, and by comparison, your faith will get smaller and you will be crushed. Crushed. How does it grow? It grows during times of trials and tribulations. The your best life now mantra says that you're not supposed to have trials and tribulations. And the only way you're not going to have trials and tribulations is if you go along with the flow of the culture. 
All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, do you remember the rest of that verse? Will suffer persecution. If you don't want to suffer persecution, it's really simple. Don't live godly in Christ. Put your light under a bushel, let nobody see it, go along with what the world says, and everything will be fine. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, period. That's a promise. So what do we do? How do we grow our faith? A couple passages in James that you already know about, and they talk about this. It says, my brethren, count it all joy, when you fall into various trials. Really? Yeah, trials, like I lost my job. Trials like they've rejected my um, exemption. Trials like I, I'm not, I can't buy groceries anymore unless I'm wearing the star of Christ on my, sewn on my jacket. Trials like they're you know, finding me this or there's gonna make me report every transaction I have over $600. Now they you know, they want to weaponize my bank against me. And with just trials, my, my family won't have anything to do with me because they think I belong to a cult or because I, I feel a certain way that I do or, or maybe I'm a patriot or something of that nature. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let, you almost see this implied thing here. No, 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 don't quit. Don't, don't, don't stop. Don't, don't run for the high ground and the easy ground right now and put your head in the sand and go do the stuff you've always been doing. But let patience, don't stop when it gets tough. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. Do you know anything about Bible study? There's... A word here used twice in this sentence. One talks about a perfect work, and then one talks about you being perfect. Are they the same words? And if they are, what do they mean? Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Okay. What does it mean? I'm giving you some books. I uh, gave everybody here this book I have so right over here about the New Testament dictionary. Are you using it? Well, my wife is, but I don't really have time for it because I'm too busy doing what? Making money. Too busy uh, doing what I want to do, hanging out with friends, playing video games. It ain't going to work, guys. It ain't going to work. We need graduate-level faith for a graduate-level test, and we're moving into graduate-level testing right now. What does it mean? My brethren, it's talking to Christians, count that's that word that we looked at a couple weeks ago. It means to reckon or consider or literally to live like it was true. I want to live like this is true. Count it all joy. I'm going to live like it is joy. It's happiness. Oh, no, no. It doesn't say happiness. It says joy. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Do you know what that is? Happiness is found in things or people or events. Man, I'm really happy I got that job. I'm really happy for you that you... Uh, we're able to get that raised. Um, I had a great time at the beach. Matter of fact, watching my kids out there in the water made me happy. There's an object of happiness. Joy is different. You can be joyful in the worst of circumstances. You can be joyful in the middle of a prison, late at night, chained to a wall with 
the skin peeled off your back singing praise songs to the Lord. What are you, happy, Paul? I wouldn't call it happiness. What are you happy about? You happy about your freedom taken away? You happy about the, the scars on your back? You happy about where you're at right now? You happy about everything that's going on with your life? The injustice that's been poured out on you? No, I'm not happy about that, but I'm joyful in whose I am. Consider it all joy when you fall. This means to fall into the midst of something and to be totally surrounded by it. I get these visions of falling headfirst into quicksand. Remember the, I haven't seen a current movie that has that in there. Remember the old black and white movies where they always fall into quicksand and they'd be slowly, and I always wondered what happened when they go under, you know, this guy under there with the scuba gear that's going to lift them out, you know, and you're completely surrounded by it, you're engulfed by it, you're overwhelmed by it. And to count or consider it or live like it was joy when I fall into various trials, various temptations, various things where my faith is put to a test. Now, please understand this. There's two people that are going to bring tests and trials in your life. One is God. When God allows you to experience a trial, it's for the building up of your faith in him. It's to encourage you to trust him more. If faith is only built up by trials and tribulations, then the more trials and tribulations you have and the more you trust in God, the greater he is in your life and the more you can trust him for something bigger tomorrow. You know, it's like, uh, I got this really terrible situation going on right now and it's absolutely overwhelming me and I, I just don't know what to do. Well, share it with me. And so they share it with you and you, maybe you've already been through that and persevered and you go, oh, that's nothing. My God's bigger than that. And as soon as you go through it, your God will be bigger than that too. On the other hand, if Satan throws a trial at you, it's designed to make you fall. But when you persevere like Christ persevered, your faith even grows more. Either way, when you persevere through a trial, you emerge on the other side, more in love with Christ, more trusting of Christ, stronger in your faith. Come on, Satan, that the best you got, bring it on. Because my God is bigger than anything you got. As a matter of fact, I think I remember a verse. This is greater is he that lives in you, which is the Holy Spirit, than he, Satan, and his minions who live in this world. Why? Well, because I know. That's gnosko. I don't just know like I'm going to take a test, like um, you know, there's a, a, a memorizing the facts, and after I take the test, I forget them. I know by experience. I know that the testing of my faith produces patience, that the testing of my faith brings to the desired end that I would have patience. And patience means to preserve, to persevere under, to remain under, to endure. How long do I endure? Until God decides to take the trial away or you die and go home to be with Jesus. Either way, you win. You win unless you hold on to this world too tightly. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. I don't know. 
I don't know if I can take it anymore. I mean, things are really tough right now. My son's turned against me. My, my, my wife has turned against me. I'm about to lose my job. I don't have any friends. I mean, the only people that I know are, are people that share a faith like me. And it seems like as things get darker, those people get fewer in number. I, I, I don't know what to do. I just want to quit. I want it to stop. I can't take it anymore. Don't quit. But let patience have its perfect work. Hang on in there, he's saying here. Let it have its complete, full, wanting nothing work in your life so that you can be perfect. Same word. You can be complete. You can be whole. You can be full. You can want nothing. And then he amplifies that in the last two words. Now, do we believe that? I mean, honestly, do you believe it? Can you live like that? Lord, I don't care what the trials and tribulations are. The darker the world gets, the brighter my light should be. The, the worse the situation is out there, that's the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's army is behind us. And he told us he wasn't going to come and get us. He told us he would let us go. And we plundered all of Egypt when we did. And now all of a sudden, there he is. What am I going to do? Well, uh, until... Uh, until your faith grows to a certain point, how about I do this? How about if I put a pillar of fire between you and Pharaoh? Okay, who knows how long that lasted? Hours? Day? Days? Well, but that didn't increase their faith. Don't you think if you have Red Seas in front of you, you're camped between the Red Sea and this massive pillar of fire that's keeping the enemy away, don't you think that would have increased your faith some? But it didn't. Oh, we should have gone back to Egypt. What are we going to do? All right, we're going to part the Red Sea. So he parted the Red Sea, and then everybody went on the other side. And when they got on the other side, they looked back, and here comes Pharaoh's army. Oh, my gosh, we're going to die again. Fine. Wave your staff again. Now they're all drowned. And in no time at all, they're complaining again. What more do you want? How do we grow our faith? Now, this is an assignment. This is an assignment. One of the one of the things that we do in church is we come and we set it up like a, like a college class. Every church I know is set up this way, where you have the guys on a stage and then you have the people sitting in the pews or the chairs. And our job is to proclaim truth and our job is to lead you in worship. And so what happens is they sing some songs. Hopefully they're worshiping and you can get caught up in the worship by watching them worship. It shouldn't be a worship leader. It should be like a lead worshiper. Hopefully, the pastor's up there and he's proclaiming some message to you that God changed his life with so that you can actually not only hear what he says and see what he says, but be caught up in the excitement and experience of what he's doing because you can't lead anybody to where you've never been, men, in your families. Did you hear that? You can't lead your families to where you have never been. You can't. You can't point them to a goal and herd them like cattle. You can't. Well, my wife is more spiritual than I am. Then you better fix that. And that doesn't mean by tearing her down. That means you need to, to be on your knees and, and become that leader that you need to be. So here's the assignment. The way for your faith to grow is you need to take a passage of Scripture, a promise, and you need to align your life up with it to let God show you it's true. 
It's true, which means you don't just read it and understand it and keep it in your brain and go, okay, all right. Yeah, I believe that, but there ain't no way come Monday I'm going to exercise that passage in work. Ain't no way I'm going to call this person or, or give away something or, or that. No way I'm going to actually put it into action. Well, then your faith will never grow because you have to take his word and let him show you it's true. So that's our assignment. We're going to look at five promises. I'm going to give you the promises today, and then I'm going to share just a few scriptures with you. I'm going to give you the, the five promises today, and I want you to take one each day this week. I'm going to send you an email out to remind you. One each day, and I want you to read it. I want you to try to understand what it says. I want you to apply it to your life, and then I want you to tell somebody about it. Hey, I looked at this first passage and here's what I decided to do. I, you know, I, I read it and I believe it, so therefore I'm, I'm going to live like this. And so I, I prayed about it, and the Lord has told me to act on this particular passage. I am going to do this. And I don't care who you tell. I want you to copy me on that email. I will not share it with anybody that it's you. At the end of the week, I'm going to put a bunch of those together, showing what some of us have done in acting on these things out. I'm hoping, men, you will lead out on this. That, and then I'm going to send everybody an email and say, hey, look what God is doing. Your name will not be on it, but uh, just copy me on that email. I don't care if you want to tell your wife about it or if you want to tell your father or mother or your mentor or whoever it is. But uh, whatever God is doing in your life on that day with this particular passage, this is your Bible study. For this week, I want you to do it, make a commitment before the Lord, and then tell somebody about it and just copy me on that email. Fair enough? Here are the five promises. James 1, 5 through 8. We're just going to continue in the James passage. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Matthew 6, 33. Scariest passage of all. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Most difficult passage of all, and Romans 12, 18 and 19, which is what I'm going to talk a little bit about today. Here are the passages. We're going to look at each one today so I can just tell you what they say. I'm going to send you an email out tonight on the James 1-5 passage, and all I'm going to do is pretty much give you the information I'm going to give you right now on this slide. So that instead of you having to do a lot of the homework to see what the words mean, I've already done that for you, although it wouldn't hurt if you did it yourself. James 1, 5 through 8, you can read it in the passage. In order to do this, I need to have wisdom. In order to do this, I need to, to understand. I, I have to figure out a way that my voice doesn't cloud out the voice of God in my mind. I have to figure out if he's really speaking to me. So I need wisdom. I need wisdom on how to handle my finances. I need wisdom on what to do at work. I need wisdom on how to raise my kids. I need wisdom on by my family turning against me. What should I do? There's so many opinions out there. How do I align my life? How do I get wisdom? I don't have time to read all the Proverbs today. So Lord, help me with this. All right. James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom... This is like an if-then passage. Then, if you do, simply let him ask God. Simply ask God. God, I am stupid when it comes to your ways. I, I'm not a hearer of your word. I'm not a, I'm a hearer of your word, but I'm not a doer of your word. I don't know what to do. I don't know what the, what's happening in the world out there. I, I watch the news and I get overwhelmed. And you tell me, just quit watching the news and read my word. But I can't because I'm addicted to just bad stuff going. I don't know what to do. 
I'll ask you, God, but I've asked you before for things, and it seems like that my prayers only bounce off the ceiling. It seems like that you want to help everybody else, but not me. I hear Steve talk about these words opening up to him, but they never open up to me. Well, is there something wrong with me, God? Will you really give me wisdom? Here's what the word says. If you, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to, oh, I love little words, don't you? All, all, each, every, the whole, in totality, without exception. That without exception means you. It's not like, well, he'll give Billy Graham wisdom, and he'll give my wife wisdom, and he'll give other people wisdom, but he won't give me. It's not what it says. If you ask God for wisdom, he will give to all wisdom, not just miserly, but liberally. He'll give it in totality without reproach. He'll give you a ton of wisdom, and then he won't judge you or put you down for not having what you're asking God for. So he's going to give it to me freely? Yes. He's going to give it to me abundantly? Yes. He's not going to put me down and make me feel bad because I never asked him that before? No. And it will be given to him. It's really that easy? No, it's not. This is a conditional promise. What's the condition? That you ask without doubting. You ask without doubting. Every promise in Scripture is conditioned on your faith. You ask without doubting. I don't have the faith to ask that. Then ask God for more faith. Then ask God to increase your faith. Then ask God to give you what you lack. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all, that's you and me, liberally and without reproach, and it'll be given to him. That's the promise. I believe that, Lord. I believe the promise. I'm going to do that today when I get home. I'm going to do that on Monday. But whenever you see a but, there's usually a condition. But let him ask in faith. I don't know what that means. What does it mean to ask in faith? That's really simple. It means with no doubting. Because when you doubt, you're you're calling God a liar. When you doubt You're putting his word and his character and the essence of who he is at doubt. When you doubt, it's like, God, you're you're evil because you may give them wisdom, but you won't give me wisdom. Well, why wouldn't he do that? Because he hates me, because I've committed sins he won't forgive, because he doesn't like me like he likes other people. Do you realize that doesn't make you feel like the old poor stepchild? That makes you diss on him as a terrible father? What if you said that? In, what if somebody said that about you, about your kids? Oh, well, he always likes the firstborn. Hated me because I was the secondborn. What an abusive man. And yet we say that about God when we doubt. Let him ask in faith without doubting. Well, what happens if I do doubt? Well, he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by something, some entity outside of itself goes here and goes here. Whichever way the wind blows, that's the way you go. Nobody can count on you. God can't count on you. You're hot today and cold tomorrow and up and down and in and out. And Sound familiar? And if you're like that, let that man, let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Anything. 
For he's a double-minded man, unstable in, ah, there's that word again, all his ways. The issue is bigger than faith. The issue is bigger than wisdom. The issue is your integrity and how you are. Monday, Lord, I'm going to ask you for wisdom because I'm going to need the wisdom to get through the rest of these four verses, the rest of this thing, but I need to do this. I don't know what to do. Well, why don't you spend some time praying? I will. Why don't you get some time confessing back to the Lord you know, what you believe about him and the things that you don't believe about him and the bad experiences maybe you've had and, and confess those to him and ask repentance for those because they impugn his character. Receive his forgiveness. Receive the infusion of the Holy Spirit. See if he'll not build you up to be the person that you need to be as we head into dark times because your family needs you. Your kids need you. Your wife, your husband needs you. The world needs men of God. Tuesday, Tuesday, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. No, we're not focusing on eating and drinking. If you, if you focus on the eating and drinking part, you miss what Paul is saying here. The focus is on the whatever you do. The idea is the fact that whatever you do, even something as mundane as eating and drinking, which is just something we do naturally, it's just something we do automatically, it's just something we do and don't think about it. Whether you eat or drink, and by the way, since there's a therefore there, you might want to read a couple of verses prior to that to see what Paul was saying before the conclusion was made. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Do all for the glory of God. I wake up in the morning. I'm going to brush my teeth. Do it for the glory of God. What, do I pray over the toothpaste? I mean, what, what do I, what do, how do I do that? I don't know. Why don't you just thank him? Thank you for the fact you have teeth. Thank you for the fact that you have a toothbrush. You have a sink with running water. Other people don't. Thank you for the fact that you had enough money to go buy some toothpaste, and maybe you're like me, you got an electric toothpaste, so I don't even want to have to do this. You know, our toothpaste, toothbrush, and all that kind of stuff. Thank you for that. How can we turn the mundane thing? So I'm driving to work, I'm in the car, I have a choice. I can listen to rap music. I can listen to some AM station where you know, everybody's telling how bad the government is. I can uh, listen to preaching or praise music. I could turn it off and just spend some time with him praying or, or praising him and singing in the car. If you decide to worship the Lord while you're in your car, please don't raise your hands and close your eyes. Um, that, that takes more faith than I have. But anyway, um, the fact is you can turn it around into whatever. Whatever I'm going to do today, oh, gosh, I've got to go fix the lunches for the kids. Oh, I've got to mow the lawn. Oh, I've got to, you know, Karen. <laughs> Karen, as always, what are you going to do this Saturday? So I rattle off 15 things. To me, it's a wish list. Oh, I don't know. I think I'll... Uh, finish the garden out there. I'll put the rest of the stuff around the railing, around the deck. I'll change the oil in the cars. To her, it's an agenda. To me, it's a wish list. If I get one done, it's a great day. I just had 15 to choose from. In her, if you 14 are done, we didn't get it all done. You know what I mean? And so sometimes Karen will, hey, you really need to get this done. Oh, okay. Um, 
out to, to do something they'll particularly want to do because I'd rather sit on my computer doing something. But nevertheless, turn it into a time that we do it for the glory of God. Then all your mundane things, all the things that you hate, all the things, oh, my baby has explosive diarrhea again. This is seven diapers in an hour. Ah, wait a second. God gave me a baby. God gave me a baby. You know what I mean? And wow, he gave me diapers. He got a support system and a family. Back in the olden days, that was even before my time, but you know what I mean? Do so for the glory of God. I guess, what is this, Wednesday? Wednesday, Matthew 6, 33. This is a hard one. But, whenever you see the but, that means, whenever you see that, it means it's a contrast from what we've just read. So I'm going to have to read the stuff prior to that to see what it's talking about. But seek first. That's the operative phrase. Seek first. The number one kingdom of God and number two, his righteousness. Doesn't mean you can't seek other things because first is a word that lines things up in order. It doesn't say seek only. It doesn't say seek just this, but it says seek first. So there's something you're seeking second, third, or fourth. It's not that this is all you have to do and you can't do anything else. It simply means whatever you're doing, you put this first. Seek first the kingdom of God and seek his righteousness. And the promise is all these things which were up in the word higher than the but shall be added to you. If you read the text, what it's talking about is the stuff we worry about the most. Food, shelter, clothing. God's going to take care of our financial needs. The stuff we demand that demands most of our time. And what he's saying is there's nothing wrong with those things, but you need to seek first the kingdom of God. When you're looking at this on Wednesday, that's the operative word. It's a, it's a, a verse that gets you to prioritize all the things in your life that eat up most of your time. Most men, especially men who work for themselves. How hard do you work? Uh, really hard. When do you put in like eight hours and go home? No, sometimes I have to work at home. I'm constantly working because I'm trying to build my business. I got to get ahead of the next guy. And if I do, don't do that, then I'm taking a, a step back and I, I can't afford that to happen. I've got certain goals. I got, I got bills I have to pay, invoices that have to be taken care of. Right, so how much time do you spend worrying about those versus how much time do you spend in clamoring and, uh, for God's word? It's a, it's, a, it's a relative phrase. Focus on the seek first. And I want you to focus on all these things. Well, you mean to tell me that if I take my hands off my business and I trust God with my business and instead I'm going to make his, my relationship with him and promoting his kingdom greater than my business, that God will add all the things that I'm trying to do myself to me doesn't say that he'll match them one-to-one. -one. He'll add them to them. I mean, how is that even possible? You want an example of that? I'm going to start a restaurant here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a hamburger bun and I'm going to put like two pickles on it and a deep-fried chicken patty. That's it. That's it? What, no lettuce, tomato, no mayonnaise, no, 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 just, just, just that, just, just two pickles. Why pickles? I don't know, I like pickles. Okay. But I'm going to take this 
lame sandwich, and I am going to start a business to glorify God with it. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to give a large portion of all my profits to his kingdom. As a matter of fact, I'm going to start homeless shelters, and I'm going to start orphanages, and I'm going to really take a lot of the money that I make through this, and there'll be enough to take care of me and my family, and we will live quite well, but I'm going to take the rest of the money and invest it in God's kingdom. And then what I'm going to do is I'm not going to open on Sunday. Why? I mean, Sunday's a big day. You're going to cut off. I mean, that's the weekend. You're going you're to miss all the after-church crowd. You're going to cut off a big segment of you. It doesn't matter. I want my employees to be able to go to church. I want my employees to be able to worship God. I want my business to be an active beacon out there that other people will know that we serve a mighty God and he takes care of us. If Chick-fil-A was open on Sunday, would you go by and get a Chick-fil-A sandwich? Is a Chick-fil-A sandwich not the greatest thing you've ever tasted in your life? And it's a bun with two pickles and a deep fried breaded, that's it. That's it. But it's like God anointed it. It was like, all right, I fixed one of these at home. That's pretty good. I figured, oh, is that not true? And every time you go in there, you feel good. Every time you walk in there, everybody's you know, nice to you. And the, the, the store's packed all the time. Their business is even greater because of the lockdown than it is now. Because God honors this. Who else does that? Hobby Lobby. And when Hobby Lobby decided to to commit their business to the Lord. Man, they've been sued. They've been tried. But isn't, isn't it a great place to go into? I can go into, <laughs> I can go into another place like Hobby Lobby, and I'm overwhelmed with stuff. You go into Hobby Lobby, and it's like, wow, it's kind of cool. I don't even know what any of this stuff means. <laughs> Seek first. Can God build your business better than you can? He wants to. He wants to. If you let him. This is Wednesday, Thursday. This is where it gets personal. This is where it gets hard. It's a conditional promise and a very scary conditional promise. For if, that's the condition, you forgive men their trespasses. What does that mean? It means their fault, their error, their mistake, their wrongdoing, their offense, and their sin. Oh my gosh. So you want me to forgive my brother? You want to forgive my mother? You want me to forgive my dad? You want me to forgive my neighbor? You want to forgive the people that are constantly giving me pain and suffering and turmoil? You want to forgive? I, I don't mind forgiving the people that come after me, but you want me to forgive the people that are coming after my kids, coming after my wife, coming after my friends? I mean, Lord, surely you can't mean this because you're a God of justice. And he is, which is the next passage we'll look at. If you forgive men their trespasses, what's the promise, God? Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Wow. Gosh, what I have done my entire life to offend God is so greater than what this person may have done to me, maybe just one time. And so the trade-off is like, I mean, what a deal. If I forgive this person that... God will forgive me of the weight of my sin. Okay. Oh, no, no, you don't understand. There's a negative side to this too. It's a conditional promise both ways. It's like a conditional promise and a conditional curse. The promise says that if I forgive men their trespasses, their sins, their offenses against me, 
then my heavenly Father will also forgive me. But, there's that but, if you do not forgive them. And you remember the parable Jesus gave about the um, man who owed $10 million versus the man who owed $100. Do you remember? The promise is, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Wow, so uh, I don't know. I don't know. This is Thursday. This is tough. I don't know because I know some people that I need to forgive, but I can't. I know some people that you're telling me I should forgive, but I don't want to. Yeah, I know some people that if, I, I, you know what, God, I'm not going to do it. And he would look down and go, really, is it worth it? Is it worth it? You're willing to rob yourself of the blessing that comes from my forgiveness because you want to hold on to a petty argument that you had with somebody that in the great scheme of things really doesn't matter. And most likely the person you need to forgive, you don't have any contact with them anyway, because if there's someone who is offended is so great that we need to forgive them, we don't want to hang around them because when we do, it causes tension. True? So if it is worth it or if it's not worth it, I mean, who do I need to forgive? And then how will you communicate that to them? When God speaks to you about that, Tell somebody about it. Maybe your email to them and copy me on it just so that I'll know. Or just send me an email that says, hey, I, uh, I forgave my brother. I forgave my father. I forgave the guy that used to work with me. I forgave my boss. I forgave, you know, whoever it was. And, uh, uh, and I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do about that? And if you can, you can go try to fix it and try to, um, you know, let them know that you're forgiving them. If you can't, that's, that's fine, but you got to forgive and let go. One of the things I learned through Neil, uh, I almost said Neil Diamond, so how old I am. Neil, 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 uh, Neil Anderson stepped through freedom in Christ was the fact that forgiveness means that you choose to live with the consequences of someone else's sin. That's your choice. You know what? I'm willing to do that, but I'm willing to forgive them. I'm not letting them off the hook. I'm letting me off the hook so I can experience the fullness of God's forgiveness and blessing once I do that. Now, these are conditional promises. One for each day. This is Thursday. But what about justice? I mean, that's not fair. If I forgive them, because they hurt me deeply, maybe you were abused by a parent or a family member as a child. Maybe something that has plagued your, yourself your whole life, whatever it is. If I, I, I just, I can't do that because they need to pay for what they've done. Absolutely. Which brings us to Friday. Friday. And here's what it says. If it is possible, as much as you can do your part, as much as depends on you, leave, live peaceably with all men, if it is possible. But if it's not possible, beloved, do not avenge yourself. Doesn't say anything about family members. This is personal. This is just you. Do not avenge yourself. So what do we do? You rather, this is a much better plan, give place to wrath. That's a confusing English translation. What it means is to give room to the wrath of God. You don't avenge yourself. You turn it over to God if you're looking for justice. And you say, God, I'm going to take my hands off of this and I'm going to give you room. I'm going to give you space. I'm going to give you place 
to be the one that brings justice. I'm going to step out of the way and let you handle what only you can handle. To give place, give room to the wrath of God. Why? For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. See the context? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Well, this person continually says evil things about me. Don't respond. It's not my job. I'm just going to do the best of my ability. I'm going to forgive them and live peaceable with them. But God, if they're going to change, if, if the uncle that abused me as a child, if, if, if justice is ever going to come to that, God, that's up to you. It's up to you to do that because I'm just trusting you, but I will no longer dwell on it. I will no longer be hampered by it. I will no longer let it be a tool that Satan beats me in the head with, with my unforgiveness because my relationship with you is far more important. This is a promise. If you can, live peaceably with all people, but if you can't, because of this judgment, justice issue that you have, even that's keeping you from forgiving them, then get out of the way. There's two ways of doing this. You can do it, try to manipulate it your own way, or by rather, it says, back away and let God handle it. Because he says, if vengeance needs to take place, that is his job. And he will repay if anything needs to be repaid. You focus on me. And I would much rather have God fight my battles than me fight my battles. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? That's Friday. That's a hard one. Do you believe it to be true? Ties in with Thursday's statement. And if so, how's that going to play out in your life this week? What bad thoughts, bad words were you getting ready to say about somebody else? That we're not anymore. God, I don't really care. Uh, God, that's up to you. You're going to have to take care of that. That's your job. It's not my job. I'm just going to focus on loving you, living for you, irrespective of what other people do to me. And the fact is, whatever they do to me, they did to your son worse. And look what he did. Look what he did. I was going to uh, begin with how much time I thought we'd have today. Begin with Romans chapter 12 and begin showing you how to study this. Because after you, verses 1 and 2, it starts talking about, um, um, starts talking about members of the body. And I wanted to tie this into last week's message where we talked about there's no excuse for us not being all God wants us to be. And the question we all have is, yes, but I'm a nobody. I don't have any gifts. I'm, I don't like to talk to anybody. I don't need to do that kind of thing. And if you will read from verses um, 3 all the way down to verse uh, 17 before this passage we're looking at here, you will find that what God continually says is the body is made up of many parts of which every single one is functional. Every single one has to be part of the body for the body to work. You have the visible parts, which is the lady up here that can really sing. Gosh, I wish I could sing. Or the preacher that can really preach. Gosh, I wish I could really preach. But since I can't do anything other than pray or sit in a hospital with somebody while they're dying or knit something to give to the people that are really in need, since that's all I can do, my gift is worth nothing. And if you read the rest of the passage, it says that it is, the, especially in also 1 Corinthians 12, it says it is the unseemly hidden parts of the body that are most important. Like your pancreas. What? You ever seen a pancreas? If you have, it's kind of ugly. Oh, yeah, I don't want to touch that. It looks like something fell out of a chicken. You know, I don't want to do that. You know, and 
Yeah, but you know what happens to you if your pancreas malfunctions? Doesn't matter how the rest of your body looks, you're going down. You're going down quick. So much so that the rest of the body would say, we have to have the pancreas. What are you talking about? I know, but I'm not the mouth. I'm not the face. I'm not the eyes. I'm not the ears. I'm not the ones that people talk about how pretty you are, how wise you are. I'm not the brain. I'm just this pancreas. Yes, but all these other parts that seem so beautiful out there that I wish I was one of those, they're begging you as the pancreas to please don't leave. Because when you do, the entire body dies. If you read that passage, you realize that every one of us have a gift. Every one of us have a place in the body. And every one of us has to get beyond, I'm nothing. Yes, you're a vital part. And if you're not functioning as part of Christ's body, the entire body suffers and the entire body will be handicapped. And if you're a pancreas, the body will die quickly. But we're not going to talk about that today. There's no time. We spend a lot of time in church, um, just pastor talking, us taking notes, so we learn cognitively and never really apply anything to what we're doing. We have to change that as the body of Christ. So I'm asking you to do this. And I know some of you are going, but the fact is, I want you to, to, to make this a spiritual exercise. Set apart maybe a Bible study you're doing and focus on these. I will send you an email out tonight and so you'll have in the morning or Monday morning, Tuesday morning. And all I'm going to do is give you just the words, the verses like I share with you up here. Um, it's not going to be anything long or involved just so that you don't have to spend the time looking them up yourself unless you choose to. But I'm going to lay it out. This is exactly what it means. We've already talked about it. The question is, what are you prepared to do about it? How are you going to apply those truths into your life? Do I really believe them? And if I believe them, Lord, how are they going to manifest in what I do daily? Well, how about you forgive this person? Oh, man. How about if you quit spending so much time worrying about your business and spend more time uh, raising your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Oh, gosh, all right. How about if you, see what I'm saying? And then when you make that decision and put that into action, tell somebody about it. Tell somebody about it and then either copy me on that email, and if it's too intimate or too personal and you don't want to, like on the forgiveness part, just say, hey, I contacted this person and I asked, told them that I forgave them and asked for their, for their forgiveness and I'm letting my anger go and I'm letting God be the judge if anything needs to change. Great. And then on, when I get all these together sometime Friday afternoon or Saturday, I'm going to send an email out to all of us so that you'll know how the rest of the body of Christ is functioning with this as we try to become what we need to be as the darkness approaches. Amen? Let me pray.